0: Okay, turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 10, okay? If you don't have a Bible, we've got a couple guys coming down the aisles. Don't be shy. Raise your hand. We want you to follow along and get a free Bible from us. We'll pass those out. Hands up. Anybody? There you go. Yeah, there, hey, just jump up there. There's another one right down here. Hands up if you need a Bible. Nice. Alice, need a Bible? Good job, little girl. <laughs> okay, turn to Romans chapter 10. Mm-mm. So we said last week, we took a nine-week break from the book of Romans, and so we've been in Romans... Uh, we were in there for about a year, and then we took a nine-week break, and we're popping back in until the end of the school, uh, end of the year, until December when we get into our Advent series, um, and then on into 2015 as we explore some new options for what we're going to do. But I'm really excited to be back at Romans, and I, I tried to talk about that a little bit last week about how I just love kind of getting into the Scripture, right? Getting into this book and mining it for all the depths that I think Paul wishes to communicate uh, in the midst of his argument. And so again, today because he's building a grander argument in the midst of this, I feel I need to do a bit of recap. And I know for those of you who've been tracking, you've been here, it might be annoying. But again, I want us to continue to get what Paul's trying to share with us. Okay, so throughout the book of Romans, Paul is just making this claim that there is a direct need in our souls and in our lives because of the sin with which we cannot control right, that we're broken, we're messed up, we're sinful, whatever term you want to use, that is our condition, and so in the midst of that, man, we really need help, okay, we need a savior, and so that answer, that savior, the, uh, the, the, the climax of all history is in Jesus, that Jesus comes, he lives, he dies, and he raises, and then this story, the gospel story about God's mission to, to, to bring back humanity and to bring back creation into his fold, um, that story, that gospel is the thing that saves, and there is nothing else in this world to compare. We talked about last week that each of us have these these idols, right? We all have certain things in our life, be it money, security, be it family, be it children, right? Be it sex, be it fill in your thing, status, job, we all have these things, right, that they, they're competing stories with the gospel story. They, they try and say, okay, well, this really is the answer. If you want to be happy, if you want to um, rid yourself of the burden of sin and pain in your life, the answer is, and then they craft for you an answer that you think is better than the gospel. And we get caught up in this type of stuff all the time. Okay. So here's what Paul is doing in this moment. In, in chapters 9, 10, and 11, Paul is making this argument about God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness in the midst of our rebellion, in the midst of specifically the rebellion of the Israelite nation from the Old Testament. And so from the Old Testament, if you read any part of it, you'll constantly see God is drawing and bringing together a people for his own pleasure, Israel through Abraham, his people, drawn to himself, blessed to be a blessing, all the things we've talked about, okay? So that people bring it into today or when Paul's writing around this time in like 50, okay? And Paul's wondering, well, wait a minute. If all of these promises used to belong to Israel, how come they don't belong to him anymore? In other words, how come there aren't more Jews that are saved? And so he just looks in himself and says, well, I'm a Jew. I got saved, but there's, there's something missing here because God promised this, but it's not happening, And so his answer to this was, listen, Old Testament Israel, true Israel, was not an ethnic Israel, but rather a spiritual Israel. That that, that you're not brought into the family of God because of your ethnicity, but you're brought into the family of God because of your faith, because of your confession, because of your belief. And that is always the way it has been. And so Paul addresses Israel and all his Jewish brothers and sisters that might be asking the question, well, what happened? God used to be ours. He's letting them know he still can be. He still can be. And he landed last week in verse 13 by saying that all who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. Okay? That all who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. That there is, it is open, it is come, it is your mind. Mo- just call on him and you're in. So Israel, if you're concerned or hear me, world today. If you're concerned, how am I going to get out of this mess? Call on Jesus. That was the answer he gave us. And we said over and over and over last week, the answer is Jesus, the answer is Jesus, and the answer is Jesus. Always and forever, that is the answer for us. And so here's, here's the next logical question that Paul gets into, I think. Okay. I think the next moment then becomes, okay, well, how do we get that message out? If, if the message is so good and especially in this context for Paul, if he's saying, okay, if this is what it takes, is just belief, is just a call on Jesus, man, we got to tell everybody. We have to let people know about this thing. Who are we to keep it to ourselves? And so he gets into this next passage, and it is, man, it is a gut-wrencher, right? It comes, listen, it comes right at your heart if you're paying attention, Right? If you're here and you're just here just because you wanted to show up to church today, this might not mean much. But if you're here because you want to learn and be changed and be sanctified by the Holy Spirit, okay, this is going to be a gut-wrencher because it's, it's going to call us to action that honestly we are terrified to walk into on a consistent basis. Okay, so here we go. Verse 14. How, will, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? and how are they to hear without someone preaching and how are they to preach unless they are sent okay so if the answer is call in the name of Jesus what has to happen beforehand right so before the person and listen we all have that story so if you're near, not all of us, if you're here near a christian you have the story if you're not then you don't yet hopefully but if you're near a christian you have the story of that moment where you call the name of Jesus what happened before that what were the steps that led you to your proclamation of faith in Christ. And everyone's got a different story, and I love that, but he gives these kind of broad strokes of what it looks like. So he says, listen, before someone can call, they, they have to believe. There has to be this internal belief in their heart about who Jesus was, what he did, how he saved them, and his resurrection. I mean, that just has to be there. We looked at it even in just the previous chapter, that all who call the name of Jesus but believe in his name, believe that he raised from the dead, the gospel story." You got to believe that, then you can call. But before even belief, before even belief comes, comes hearing, and so you need to hear this story, right? That you can't just believe in something that you don't know anything about. So there has to be a hearing, a receiving aspect. And then before even before you even ever heard the gospel, someone had to come to you and had to preach it to you. Right? Someone along the line in your life, and if you're here in a Christian, you're probably thinking of who that person was, or group of people, or church you were at. Someone had to preach to you and say, this is the good news. This is who Jesus is. And then you heard it, you believed, and you called on Jesus. But there's even a moment even before the preaching ever happens. Before there's even ever preaching, there must be sending. That there has to be this, okay, we are on mission, we are to go out, I am sending, we are sent people by God to go to the world to preach that they may hear. So when they hear, they might believe. And so then when they believe, they might call in the name of Jesus and be saved. And so we get all of this kind of, this backstory of how this all happens. And yet, I think we live in a world, I think we live in a church culture where we've left off the sending piece. Where we don't realize that as a church, every, listen, if you're here and you're a Christian, every single one of you is sent by God to preach. Does that mean that you've been called to come up here and do this? Maybe, but maybe not. Maybe this is your future, I don't know. But more than likely, you're just meant to go out to the world and tell people about Jesus. There's no way around it. And yet, we get so caught up in some of the, you know, well, I don't, you know, I feel uncomfortable and that's not really my skill set. And I always think, listen, I get all that. I mean, that's, that's fine. But there is, you learn through those things. There were things that you, looking back on your life, you weren't good at at some point in life and then you had to work really hard to get good at. I remember the first time I rode my bicycle, five years old, no training wheels, because I'm a boss, and, um, and I'm riding my, little, my, my, my two-wheeler, and I'm going around, and I hit some gravel, and my whole lip, right here, chunks off. It's hanging, dangling from my lip, right? I mean, obviously, in that moment, I had the chance to say, I'm never doing that stupid activity again. No, you get back on the bike, and you try. It doesn't matter if you're not skilled in it. It doesn't... You are called by God. You are sent by God to preach the gospel through word and through deed. There is no way around it. It's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of a gut-wrencher because immediately, even as I'm sitting through this, and, and this is my job, right? I, mean, I even begin to think through my week and think through my life and say, man, how often, outside of even the pulpit moment, am I preaching the gospel to people who need to hear it? it it's, a, it's a gut-wrencher it should be, okay? So we, we here are all sent, and and I was thinking about, I was thinking about the way this kind of practically sometimes works out in our life, and, and I immediately, and sorry, sorry, Verity, but I went to my first girlfriend, and, uh, this was in fifth grade, and I don't know how many people started around then, but I started in fifth grade, so it wasn't really a girlfriend, we just hung out by the jungle gym a lot, and, uh, and that type of thing, but um, her name was Laura, and um, here's the deal. I was very shy. It's fifth grade, so I didn't even know what I was doing, but Laura um, had dated someone before, and so she was very well experienced, and so, um, so, so Laura um, knew that she she liked me, but I mean, I was nervous, and so I didn't know if, man, does she really like me? I'm not going to do anything. I'm kind of shy, and so what she does is she sends her friend Ashley, Right, she says, Ashley, I like Vince, I need you to go tell him so that he knows and so that he comes and then we can date. And so she sends Ashley and she's standing, I remember this vividly, I was over in the corner by the monkey bars, which I could never do, and, um, and she and Ashley were, were over on the basketball court and I see Ashley, because we're staring, my group of boys and her group of gals and we're staring at each other, and I see Ashley slowly walk across the gap and I say, she is carrying good news. She comes across, comes over and says, Hey, Laura likes you. And I said, Really? She says, Yes. I said, Okay. So then I went back with her, and we started dating for two weeks, okay? Um, yeah, it didn't work out very well with Laura. See, what here, here's what happened. In any communication moment that you have, in order to get your point across, right, You communicate in such a way that you send across a message in such a way that it is appealing, in such a way that then the hearer receives, believes, and calls on to and responds to whatever the message is necessary. Now, here's the thing. I use that story just to say this. The gospel story, hear me, is the greatest story ever told, right? That there is no better news you will ever get about anything Verdi and I, and you guys know, so we had a miscarriage last year and then we found out we were pregnant in December. And then every subsequent uh, uh, doctor's visit, we go in and hear the heartbeat. Man, that's really good news for us. We're like, okay, man, Finley, he's just crushing. He's doing great. He's in there, all good. We love it. It's really good news. It does not compare. It, it, It doesn't compare to the news that every problem that is with us all, all the brokenness and sin and fractured aspects of this world, that all of that is to be redeemed, everything that's messed up, to be fixed, and it's through Jesus. There is no greater news. There is no greater story. And so as Christians, listen, here's what we often do. I think we're afraid to be sent people. I think we're afraid to go and talk to people because we don't believe the message is all that great. Like, we believed it for ourselves, and and it's pretty good, and we're excited that Jesus saved us. But I think if we're honest, if we get down to it, and we begin to think about, if it's really that good, if this really means the redemption and restoration of people's hearts and people's souls and all of creation at the end of the days, if this is the true story of the world, if I really believe this, how do you not share that story? How do we keep this story to ourselves? And yet that is just the rampant mentality across the church today. It's good for me. I don't want to I don't want to impose listen, I'm not saying I'm not saying walk into your class, shove your teacher, and then just preach. Right? I'm not saying walk into gore tomorrow, shut down the machine, get on top of the machine, and start. I mean, no, I'm saying preach the gospel through word and deed and whatever it looks like for you to do that. Because the story is that good. And here, I'm going to say this. If you're not willing to preach, I, I would ask you to take a real hard, long look at what you believe about the gospel. If you're, not, if you're not willing to be a sent person as the Bible's already labeled you. If you're not willing to preach as the Bible's already commanded you. I, I need you to just ask the question, man, what do I really believe about the gospel? Is it just a good story for me, or is this the good news for the entire world that all who call in the name of Jesus will be saved? It's a gut-wrencher. It should mess with us. Okay, verse 15. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I love that. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And he's quoting Isaiah here. Isaiah 52, 7. So what's happening is the people of Israel, and again, a lot of this, these chapters, 9, 10, 11 Romans, are directed towards Israel to remind them God's still faithful, God still loves you, call on Jesus. Okay, so he's here, he's quoting Isaiah 52 and saying, hey, remember when the Israelites, remember when the Jews, when you guys were in captivity in Babylon? Remember that? And you thought all hope was lost. You had been taken from your land, stripped of your possession, and placed in a city and a home that was not your own and you were downcast, and you did not know what the future looked like, and yet people came and said, God will deliver. God's going to get you out of this. God's got something bigger planned for you. And so there was a gospel, there was a good news in the midst of this for the Jews during their exile in Babylon. And so he's saying, man, beautiful were the feet that brought the gospel to the Jews. Beautiful are the feet that bring the gospel to the world today, okay? And and let me just say this, it has absolutely nothing to do with the actual care of your feet. It is the feet carry you to places, okay? You could have really gross feet and still preach, okay? Okay, that was a better joke than you guys laughed at. That's all right. The good news, the gospel, it's worth it, okay? It's worth the discomfort, in the same way that the prophets, here we go, the prophets that went and told Israel, hey, God's, God's going to take care of us, don't worry, God's coming, God's going to deliver, God's going to do this, i tell you what, their message was not received very well. There was a lot of persecution, I and mean, if you, if you spend some time, man, just read some of this stuff, read Isaiah, read, read Jeremiah, who spends like half the book crying, because of just, this rejection of, of God and of their gospel in that moment. Okay, of that of their good news that God was coming. Okay, so so listen. Expect the discomfort, but don't then push away the mandate that we've received. Okay, let's keep going. Verse sixteen. Uh uh-uh. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, "Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us?" And again, they again talking about the Jews specifically. They have not all obeyed the gospel. Verse seventeen. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Again, just reiterating what he just said in verses 14 through 16. Faith comes from hearing, hearing through the word of Christ, 18. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. So then he, he comes back in, and he, now he's quoting Isaiah 53. Again, in the same story, talking to the Jews and saying, no, Are you telling? But they heard the gospel. I mean, they heard the good news back then. The Jews, we we told them. They knew. And yet they rejected it. And and yet they rejected it. And so again, going back to the story they introduced in the beginning for Israel, right? Israel here is probably thinking, well, no, the promises were for us. How How come we're not part of the people of God now? And they're like, listen, no, it was there. We came to you. We preached the good news. And yet you rejected it. The gospel was there for you. It was faith-based. It was not about your ethnicity. It was about faith and not works. Bring it into today. We've presented the gospel. You've heard the gospel. Some of you might be here. You've been coming to church on and off for years. You keep getting dragged here by friends. They keep saying free lunch. And you show up, and you hear it, and you you just shrug it off. They rejected it. And I just, we live in a day, just like every day in the history of the world where you find a people that consistently rejects the gospel. And so ever so more, then, we must go. Okay? Ever so more, we must be sent. Ever so more, we must preach that people will continually hear, move to belief, and to call in the name of Jesus that they may be saved. Okay? Yeah. Verse 19. But I ask... Did Israel not understand then? So a clarifier to that. So maybe they heard it, because so they heard the gospel, but maybe they just didn't get it, right? Like maybe it was something on the way we preached, maybe it was something the way we said it. You know what I mean? Like Jeremiah, Isaiah, they were off that day, okay, and so they just didn't understand the gospel. Is that is that what happened? Okay, and and, and, may, and maybe so, but what what God's about to do within the midst of this, either. Hearing and unbelief or hearing and misunderstanding, whatever it looks like, is an act that we all must rejoice in today, okay? And it's an act that we must, let 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 me just read it, okay? First Moses said, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. In verse 20, then Isaiah, so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who didn't ask for me, and so here's what. And we're going to mine this and explore this even more next week as we get into chapter eleven. Okay, um, but here's what God does. God says, "Listen, I, I don't know how to get through to you, Israel. You've been my people for a long time now. Consistently, I've shown up. You were in trouble, I came. You wanted this, I gave it to you." I reprimanded you when you did brokenness. You came and you repented. We were good for a week, and then you left again. I don't know how to get through to you. I don't know what to say anymore. And, and so God, the sovereign God of the universe, in his mission to redeem all of creation, okay, decides, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to make this story go out beyond your walls. I'm going to allow for the gospel to not just be about Israel, to not just be about this people, but to be about all people. I'm going to allow for it to go to the ends of the world. I'm going to, have to go beyond Israel to the Gentiles, which I don't know if any of you are Jewish, but most of us in here are probably not. So, to all of you, this moment, the rejection by Israel leads to God going it's going to go to the rest of the world. It's going to go to the rest of the world, and here up, Israel, you're going to see it, and you're going to be jealous, and you're going to be upset that you missed out. You're going to see the way that the Gentiles and the church, that they come together, you're going to see the way that they love one another. You're going to see the way that they sacrifice for one another. You're going to see the way that in the midst of conflict, they forgive one another. You're going to see in the way that they support each other financially. When there's lack, that they come and bring the resource. You're going to see a community and a body of people that do this the way I want them to do it, and then you'll repent. So here's the thing. As as we hear this story, we're kind of like, man, God's kind of a jerk, right? Right? Like, does, this sounds almost spiteful for a moment. Like, God is just kind of spiting and, and frustrated with Israel. He's like, well, I'm going to show you, right? I'm, I'm, I'm going to get them. Just wait. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lord this over their heads. Here's the difference between us and God. I feel like we do this all the time. So, again, and this is strange that this happened to me, but I have another story of another ex-girlfriend, okay? So, so, so the last two weeks have been World Cup. We got kicked out, and so now it's on into dating. Um, and so my, my girlfriend in high school, uh, sophomore year, cheated on me, right? And uh, I was, you know, upset and frustrated and mad and all that kind of stuff. And so my answer was, I'm gonna date your sister. And so I did, okay? And so I went, dated her sister, and just lavished her sister. I mean, just balled out. We went, it was the best, and made her feel terrible, okay? Wasn't a Christian in high school, don't blame me, okay? That's the way that we usually think of jealousy, right? We're going we're to, okay, we, someone hurt us, someone betrayed us, and so we have to find a way to get them back, right? How dare they do this to us? And so we find a way to say, okay, well, I'm going to make you jealous. See, see here's, here's the motive in our heart, which is spite and frustration and malice and all that other stuff that usually gets wrapped up because we tend to be selfish individuals. But here's what God does. His is, this move, this decision, this, I'm gonna give the gospel to the world. This has nothing to do with spite. It has everything to do with drawing Israel back to himself. You have to get that. God, God still loves his people. God still loves Israel. He has a plan for Israel. We're gonna, and again, we're gonna get into chapter 11. We're gonna break down a lot more of what this looks like. But he does this. We are benefactors of the fact that God wants to bring Israel back. Now, does that, that doesn't negate the fact that he loves you and he loves me and he loves all the world, wants to redeem all of creation. That is all true. That's all part of him. That's all part of his, his mission. But we have to understand that it was the rejection of Israel that allows us to come in and the gospel to be spread out to the ends of the world. Okay. And so we are recipients of this. So God, even, even making someone jealous is done out of love beautiful creator. Hallelujah. Okay. So, verse 21. Paul's proclamation to Israel from God. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Okay. So he just wraps up this moment talking again about, okay, Israel, here's what's going to happen, man. It's going to go to these people, and they're going to embrace it, and they're going to love it, and they're going to live it out. And you're going to look, and you're going to think, I missed out. But here's the thing. Come back. Come back. All day long, his hands are out welcoming back the people of God. And then we think about today, listen, all day long, God's hands are out welcoming back this world. Every broken sinner, every prideful, malicious, status-driven idolater, come on back we we were severed in the beginning in the fall we we were severed in disobedience just call in the name of Jesus you will be saved his hands stretched out to welcome back the people of this world now even just the imagery for me to think about that this that god the god of the universe who is perfect yet completely betrayed by us right that he says no come back in you're mine i love you okay i, I mean just Again, think for those of you who are married, right? Just just picture that, that every time you got into a fight, every time you got into that conflict forever, and you look over your spouse and they're just doing this. Come on. Come on. Tug it out. I love you. Let's be reconciled. You're mine. On and on and on. That's the picture of God we get to love the imagery of this. And then even a step further. This idea of his arms stretched out and we picture the cross. And we picture what is such a such a tough moment to visualize. Of Christ's arms stretched wide on a cross, nails driven to his hands, to his feet. Again, open. Come. This act, the spreading, the welcoming of God back to himself through his sacrifice on the cross Jesus Christ our savior. Okay. Man. God's good. That story, that news. How do we keep that news to ourselves? How do we keep that news to ourselves? Again, I I think it's only if we just don't believe it all that much. Okay. Okay, so because this is true, because the news is that good. Because the gospel is open to all. Okay? Because Jesus' arms are open wide. Because God's hands are stretched out, welcoming all who would call in the name of Jesus. Because that is true, the church, Christians, we go. Okay? We're sent. We go. And I think we go to two places, and it's even, I think, identified here. We go, one, we go to the places where there are people who have never heard. And two, we go to places where the people just don't understand, okay? And so I just want to spend our last little time talking about these two things, okay? The places that no one's heard, and it's vast, okay? It's vast. We live in a world where a lot of people have not heard this good news, where this gospel story, as much as we take it for granted, it is just not there. So I did some research on one of my favorite websites called The Joshua Project. Uh, They just go through, they just list all sorts of different uh, people groups around the world, the amount of biblical literacy they have, do they have translations, do they have this, how reached, on and on and on. And so I just want to pull some stats for you. Right now, and this was just done at the end of 2013, there's 7.2 billion people in the world, according to this, their statistician, about 2.25 billion Christians, okay, about 2.25 billion Christians, So almost a third, a little bit less across the whole world, one third, leaving about 5 billion non-Christians. In the midst of this uh, 7.2 billion, there's 9,760 people groups in the world, okay? 9,760 different people groups, people groups being uh, an identity, a people, okay, that are are formed by their own language, usually a distinct culture, and usually a distinct place, okay? 9,760. Of that number, 4,084 are unreached, referred to as a UPG, unreached people group. Okay? 4,084, that's, um, and and to clarify what unreached, they mean less than 2% Christian. Okay, so 4,084 people groups across this world today have less than 2% of their population that would claim Christianity as their religion. Okay? Um, Which works out to almost 3 billion people. 3 billion people. Okay? Um, Nine, here's, here's the crazy, 97% of that number Okay, 97% of the three billion people who are not reached in this world live in the 1040 window. Okay, 1040 window, and I always get my latitudes and longitudes messed up. But go 1040, 10 1040, 1040. Right, this this block of space, Middle East, Asia. even have now brought in Indonesia. I've heard, which I know is outside the 1040. Don't get crazy. Okay, but that window, 97%. Okay. And, and so there is, okay, wait a minute. There, there's got to be something that we need to do here, right? There's got to there's be something we need to do. Um, here's here's some fun facts that I, that I looked at. Do you know what the fastest growing evangelical population in the world is? And let, let's see, just some guesses. Fastest growing evangelical population in the entire world. Go ahead, just throw some out. India. China. Iraq. Okay, closest, Iran. Right? Iran. 19.7% growth in Iran, and evangelical Christianity, okay? Dang. God's doing something, okay? God's doing something. I don't know. I, I mean, praise God for the people on the ground that are doing that. I don't know. Man, those guys are awesome, okay? Praise God. Now, um, the three least reached countries in our world, Pakistan at number three with 444 unreached people groups, Okay? China, number two, with 456 unreached people groups. And then India, ready? 2,200 unreached people groups. They got like 1.2 billion people there or something. 2,200 separate, identifiable, language, place-based people groups that less than 2% of their population know Jesus. Okay? There is certainly room for ascent people to go to the places that have not heard. Okay. Now, here's the thing. I, I, this is just a little, a little rant that we have on missions, and it's just our philosophy here that I thought would be good for us to share. We, we love the world, and, and honestly, that we've been, there's times where people have sat down with us and say, like, how come you don't talk about world missions enough? You seem to talk about just loving Flagstaff, and I'm like, okay, that's great, and yeah, because you live here now. We talk about loving Flagstaff a lot, and we're going to get to this more in just a moment. We talk about Flagstaff a lot now because you live here now. But if you go to China, if you go to India, if you go to Pakistan, if you go to Mexico, if you go to whatever, fill in the blank. Okay, great. Hey, we're going to do everything we possibly can to support and resource you to be there and to serve effectively. Okay. We'll do everything we possibly can. You got a question, Joel? Yeah. Do it. No. It's so less than 2% Christian. So that could mean like, so for example, we, so the if you guys remember Laura and James who came and spoke here about a month or so ago, they work with a UPG in China where they are uh, two of four missionaries that work full-time uh, to reach this people group in the central, central China of 3 million people. And so there is a Christian presence, but it's less than 2%. So they would be included in the, st- the stats. So... Um, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah, no, no, no. here's a question that that I think we have to ask in the West though, okay, we we just have to ask it, And, and hear me, we love the world, we must go to the world, the West still has a big part to play in the gospel going to the edges of the earth, okay, hear me, please hear me, but There must be a question in the midst of this. When does our complex to go become negative? And sometimes it does. When does it become that we feel it is our responsibility, the church in America, to save the world and not the church of Jesus to save the world? Okay, now here's what I mean by this. We often spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to send trips overseas, and again, I think they're good. I've been on them. We're going to do them, but we need to ask the question and have the conversation. We send thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to raise up teams to go to these places for one week, two weeks, six weeks a year, whatever it might be. Again, we love them, but what does it look like if instead we actually began to trust the international church, and we began to trust pastors and missionaries that are Chinese that live in China, and we began to trust and believe in Indian pastors that maybe they know how to reach their people a little better than we do all the time, and we could just say, you know what, we were going to spend $30,000 to send a team of 10 to India for a week, but instead we're going to give you that $30,000 to equip and fund a full-time pastor to work there for three full years, now, does that mean we don't go? No. But we have to have the conversation. And, and here's the thing. I don't know the answers yet. It, there is no answer because I still think we have a role and we're supposed to send people. And there's some people that God's saying, hey, I'm going to send you there for a week because I'm prepping you to go there for your life, okay? And that, that is a huge part of it to get in there, to build, to start businesses, and to just be in community, and to preach the gospel, we still have a role in that, but we have to have the conversation, okay? And and the truth is, is I'd love to sit down and talk more about that, because I don't think we have answers, but I know we need to think about that. We need to think about the fact that this is a global church, that God is equipping men and women from all nationalities to reach their people. Did you know that now America, and I might have shared this out before, is the seventh largest receiver of overseas missionaries? That people that were getting saved in the 50s and 60s by our work are now coming back to America and saying, you guys are jacked up. I love it. And so maybe we don't, maybe we just don't have all the answers on what it means to save the world. And we need to continue to resource and to research that, okay? But that's, again, love it. We got to keep going. Don't let that discourage you. If you're thinking, I, I want to sit down. I love, I spent three years working overseas. I am all about it. Let's talk about that and let's just see, man, what does that look like for our church moving forward, okay? Um, this last thing, and we'll land, and I think we're running a little bit long, so I'm sorry, but again, go to those that have never understood. And guess what? That, that's your neighbor, right? That, that's your coworker. That's your boss. That's your friend, okay? That, that's, that's your teammate. That's your coach. That's your employee, Go to the people that have not understand. Because, listen, in our country, for the most part, and sure, you're going to run into some people that have never heard an accurate representation of the gospel, and I get that, and you need to clear up the misconceptions. Okay? Clear up the fact that some people still think that this thing's about works and about you earning your way to Jesus. About you cleaning up your life and then coming to him. That's not the gospel. The gospel is, man, just come as you are. Jesus will take care of the rest. So sometimes there's going to be those nuances where you need to clear some stuff up because they haven't heard an accurate gospel. But usually, no, they get it. They've heard it. They know the main points. And you have to help them understand. You gotta help them connect pieces. And whether that be through a clear, accurate presentation of what the Bible says or be it through, man, this is what God's done in my life. This is how God's transformed me. These are the stories that I see on a daily. On and on and on. If that's bringing them here or if that's just sitting down in a coffee shop, I don't care. The, the, most of the ministry that you are going to do when it comes to reaching those outside of the faith is going to be people who just don't understand. They've heard it. They know some of the main things, and you need to just connect some dots, and you're supposed to go, okay? You're supposed to go. So just lastly, some stats um, that, from America, okay? Um, 75% of people check the box for Christian. In our country, 75, and this is by uh, the Pew Forum, okay? If you guys want to look that up, Pew Forum, 75% of the people check the box in America, Christian, I saw a, a wonderful kind of breakdown of this number by Ed Stetzer. Um, he's, I don't know if you guys know him, but he's brilliant. And he starts breaking down this number and he began, he pushed further into the stats. Okay, and he, and he developed these three different categories. He said, there are cultural Christians, congregational Christians, and convictional Christians. And, and listen, give him some grace in this. Obviously, we don't know everyone's heart. Okay, but cultural Christians are just saying, hey, like, I'm born in America and that's kind of what we do here right? Or, you know what, like, my parents, they did this, so that's just what happens, okay? So culturally, this is the same thing. My mom is from Vietnam. She is Buddhist, but she is culturally Buddhist, She does not practice in any way. I probably know more about the faith than she does but she identifies culturally as Buddhist, okay? Next would be congregational. So this is, okay, like, I walk through some of the motions. I walk through some of the steps, and so I know the church thing, and so I'll step into church. I'll do Christmas. I'll do Easter, Maybe I'll pray before meals. Whatever those things are that kind of fit the general Christian agenda, I'll do those. And so that's kind of a congregational Christian. He puts 25% on the cultural, 25% on the congregational, and then 25% on what he calls convictional. That truly the Holy Spirit of God has come into the life and convicted the believer of his sin, and he has placed and called faith in Jesus to redeem him and make him new. Okay, 25%. So again, these are, these are just helpful stats as we just think through and the work that is left to be done. Because it's vast, okay? Because it's vast. Um, Pastor Jim Dorman at Christ Church of Flagstaff, love him. He does a a thing every year where he sends out to all the churches and puts out a big survey to the city just to identify kind of what are some of the stats in the city. He sent this out recently, and I'll just share one with you. 11.3% of our city attended church one time last year. Okay? So 11.3% of our entire city said, yeah, for one time, I'm going to go. Okay. 11%. That leaves 88.7% of the city that didn't even set foot in a church. Now, listen, does church attendance mean Christian? No, it doesn't. But it's an indicator, okay? It's an indicator that, man, there is much work to be done here. Um, Here's where I want to land, is I just want to paint a picture of some things that are happening here at Redemption. And I know I just said land for the second time, so I apologize. I do that a lot. We're really landing this time. Um, I just want to paint a picture for you guys of some stuff that's happening at Redemption Church uh, across all of Redemption. We, we sometimes miss it being up here in Flagstaff that Redemption is one church and we have six sister churches and congregations throughout the Valley of Phoenix and even one launching, well, we'll talk about that next week. And so I want to share some stuff that's just happening across this church that you would be encouraged and then exhorted to go. And so here's some things. Currently, we have full-time missionaries in Turkey, China, Morocco, Ethiopia, Ghana, and Honduras. In uh, in Phoenix, we have missionaries full-time working with the refugee populations of Somalia, Uzbekistan, and various Latino countries. In in Ethiopia, they're working with child slaves and child prostitutes to help them get off the streets, starting new organizations and businesses, partnering with the current ones to do that work. In West Mesa, down the valley, they started the El Puente Community Center to care for local and migrant Latino populations through job training, immigration, reform, or bringing them in, that type of thing, and and just caring for their everyday needs. The full-time people in Morocco are starting new businesses to bring the gospel into every area of life, including physical therapy centers to care for children that have been forgotten and left on the streets. Uh, We have people consistently living and partnering with people that live there on trips to Honduras, where they're building new medical care facilities, and full-time nurses and doctors are moving there to work at these facilities. In Turkey and China, we're walking with leaders and birthing new churches, partnering with pastors there to start new churches, to start new businesses, and to begin to train and invest in the next, the next group, okay? Um, both of those countries, too, we have every year active ESL programs where we send students and, uh, and even a few adults to go out there and just teach English for a year, two years, and even some full-time people. Um, in Ghana, we have a team that's living there full-time that is working and training uh, six different church planters to plant six churches within Accra, which is the capital there, where they want to train up people and send them out to the villages in Ghana, okay? We fund literally hundreds of people every year in short-term missions via Young Life Crew, and InterVarsity Navigators, and Ambassadors, okay? Just con- and and, and here, here's why I'm—I'm sh- going to be clear. I'm sharing this not—this is not a moment of like, hey, look what we're doing. This is absolute. this has absolutely nothing to do with me, okay? many of you are involved in a lot of this stuff. We share it, okay, because we want you to know what you're part of. Not just at Redemption Church, because every church I know, like almost every church I know, they're doing stuff like this, where they're reaching people for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we need to just buy in more and more, okay? Last thing I want to share in Phoenix alone, a couple stories. With those Somali refugees, something beautiful has been happening in relation to the reform there. Josh Prather who's one of the pastors that works at Redemption Arcadia. Has been working with the Somali refugees for years now, okay? Just recently, in the last probably year, um, what's happening amidst the Somali community is the older Somalis are finding that the younger Somalis want to become American, right? And everything that that means. They want to leave behind tradition, and then just want to fully embrace what it means to be an American citizen, okay? And then you've got this older group of Somalis that have come from Somalia that are still old school, still want the old tradition, still eat the old same way, that type of deal. And there has been this growing void and chasm between fathers and sons, grandfathers and grandsons, on down the line, generational split that has brought much strife to their people. In Josh's work with them, one day they call him up and say, hey, Josh, you keep telling us about this man of peace. You keep saying that there's this guy named Jesus that is about reconciliation and peace. If that's true, I want you to come and mediate our discussions with our children. And so they bring in Josh and a team that began to mediate the reconciliation between the older Somali population and the younger Somali population where now you're beginning to see families reunited, businesses being passed down, on and on and on, and people being saved within this community. And listen, it wasn't he didn't have to go very far. You don't have to go very far. You love people, and then God opens doors. Okay? Um, one of the other stories I just want to share with you. This is the last one, I promise. Um, we work with, uh, with the Uzbekistani uh, refugees down in, in, in Phoenix, and it's a significant population. Pastor Jim Mullins, pastor at Redemption Tempe, has been working with them for a significant amount of time. Also, about a year ago, in his work with them, uh, they've began to just see, man, the way that he lives his life, the way he cares for people, the way that he loves his city and seeks the best for the people in Tempe, and on and on and on. They began to realize, man, this guy's got something And so when these men who were representatives of the Uzbek Uzbek refugee population in America were called to go back to Uzbekistan to be part of this literally nationwide council, they asked Jim to come and be part of it. They said, hey, we want you to come and talk to these people. We want you to come in and speak into these things. Here's what happens. The result of this, for the first time in the history of Uzbekistan, you can now be a Christian and serve in their government. So, so through, through this work, a partnership that started here in Phoenix sends one of our pastors over there, and now man, they got Christianity, and listen, it's still not a very open country, but it takes a little bit of time. Again, share this because I want us, my vision for us as a church, and it's been that way since we moved here two years ago, okay, has been that we would be a sent people to this city that we would fall in love with Jesus and the gospel, and that people would sacrifice to the point of saying, okay, man, this is really important, I'm gonna go. Whether that means, I mean, for now, you live here, you're gonna go to your neighbor, you're gonna go to your coworker, and then one day, hey, listen, I don't know, I don't know what God's call is for you. If you're to go, and we wanna get you there, then we're gonna find a way to help you continually discern God's calling in your life. I'll say this, man, I, I am consistently blown away by by a significant amount of people in our church that are here because of mission. There are, there are people that are in this church that have been here for a long time that have, that have invested in us, that have trusted us, and have worked with us because of mission. I know this isn't always the best place for some of you guys, but we want to be a people that are motivated by being a sent people by Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you that when we we take a moment and think through this whole sending thing, we thank you for the sent one. We thank you for Jesus who came. And was sent here. God, to live and to die, pay the penalty that we deserved. Lord, we've tried a lot of stuff. We've tried to share a lot of different things. We're part of a culture that constantly is selling a new good or a new promise. how to get themselves out of this mess, but Lord, we, we thank you that we rest today in the truth of the gospel, that there was a sent one that came to redeem all of creation. Praise God. Praise God for Jesus. And so we pray that you move today, that you convict us. God, that we would not leave the same as we came because we trust in the power of the Holy Spirit to transform lives. God, we pray for the world right now, and that is a daunting task God, but we pray for all those people that have never heard, might they hear. Beautiful are the feet that bring and carry the gospel, God. Would you carry and bring and send many feet to the ends of this earth, God, to all the places, God, (laughs) that it's scary to go, it's rough sledding, but God, they carry the greatest story and the greatest news that could ever be shared. God, we pray for those who just don't understand. God, would you give us wisdom to help connect some dots and help them understand, but we understand also in the midst of that that it has to be by you. And so, Holy Spirit, move, save, open up eyes and hearts and ears and minds, God, that they would know and see and love and call on the name of Jesus and be saved. God, we are undeserving to be part of this mission. God, just to think we were the mission Many of us here who were just walking in rebellion for so many years, God, we were the mission and now you've called us on that same mission. Lord, praise you. And so God, would you give us boldness? Would you give us strength? Would you give us knowledge and wisdom? And God, would you give us one another that we realize this is not a job for one, but the job for the church all around the world? God, that to this morning as we sing and and rejoice and praise God that we unite with millions, billions of people around the earth who proclaim this same mission, this same God and this same Savior.